the fact that although we are equal, equal we are different. And we saw our man was created first and, um, and given primary uh, moral responsibility. We looked at how the woman was described as being created as a, a suitable helper, which we acknowledge was not in any way a, a pejorative comment, but actually that's the description used of God himself. And so instead we were given the vision of this perfect partnership. Two people who are equals, of the same human nature, male and female, made in the image of the same creator, and who therefore understand each other, who bring um, different attributes, who play different roles in this uh, partnership, whose dignity and worth is not found in the roles they play, but in their status before God. And an image to, to try and convey that is a bit like a two, two dancers, um, two, two people who know their own moves, um, which they should be doing at the right time, and producing this beautiful combination. And uh, here we have uh, our local guy, Brendan Cole, from uh, Strictly Come Dancing, with one of his partners. And here we have him with another one of his partners, um, <laughs> our own Helen Walker. It's, um, I'll let her explain that afterwards. Um, but, <laughs> but of course, we know that um, this beautiful combination, this ideal partnership, is far from the reality of the relationships between men and women today. And we mentioned uh, last week some of the symptoms of broken relationships. So the big question is, well, what went wrong? And the answer, of course, as we're going to look at uh, in Genesis 3 this morning, is the fall. And what we're actually going to look at this morning is what happened in the fall when God's design was rejected. How did it damage the relationship between people and God and between men and women? But we're also going to look at the hope of reconciliation that's been achieved through Jesus Christ. Reconciliation between people and God and between men and women. But let's look, first of all, what went wrong when God's design was rejected. Well, the cause of the the rejection of God's design is Satan himself. Uh, His ultimate goal is to try and destroy all of God's works. How does he succeed in undermining God's design in this story, though? Well, it does it by targeting, first of all, Eve. And it's not insignificant that uh, Satan attacks Eve first. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, he wasn't trying to make the point there that somehow women are more gullible, they're the weaker ones, uh, that they're more easily deceived. What he was trying to say was that Satan was trying to undermine the order that God had created. As we looked at last week, God had given the command to Adam himself before he had made Eve. What did he say in verse 16 of chapter 2? Look back over the, the page. The Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so Adam was given this responsibility, and it was up to him to pass that on to Eve, that she kept it as well. Now, by attacking the woman and ignoring the man, what Satan was doing here is is putting the couple in a position where they become unstable. He's trying to sideline the man, 
make him a quiet, passive observer, afraid to take responsibility, and step in, basically, a bit of a wimp. And also, since the woman hadn't received the command directly herself, it was easier for Satan to question her, to put doubts into her mind. So the first question that the snake asks of the woman is, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? Instead of focusing on the the great freedom that God has given people, he focuses on the one exception and makes it appear like this huge um, prohibition. Now, the woman responds um, well to start with. She says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. But then she starts to add something which is not there in the original command. She says, and you must not touch it or you will die. Already, those doubts are creeping in. She's being deceived by the serpent. But look at uh, the snake's next tactic. He suggests that God cannot be believed. He cannot be trusted. So he says, you will not surely die. You will not die. Of course you won't. Don't believe him. He can't be trusted. The only reason he's saying this is that he doesn't want you to be his equal. He doesn't want you to be God. And so he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's tactics are to question the word of God and to question the character of God. And he's been doing that ever since, hasn't he? Today, we we hear Satan getting into us saying, um, did God really say that sex before marriage is wrong? He wouldn't really mind, would he? Surely he just wants us to be happy. The big temptation in the fall was to be like God, to usurp his rule, to not submit to his good and generous and loving rule, and instead to be one's own king, to make one's own rules, to be God. And that temptation is too big to withstand, and so the woman rejects God's word, takes the fruit, and eats it. But of course, It's going to be right, isn't it? Because God has given man the responsibility. This is where he stops in and he prevents the the damage happening. So where is Adam? Just when we want him. Well, verse 6 carries on. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He's actually right there with her. He's he's witnessed the, the, the snake's deception. And instead of stepping in, doing something about it, he lets the woman be deceived. He allows himself to be deceived. And note it doesn't say he also took some fruit and ate it, but he took the fruit that his wife gave him. What's the significance of this? Well, he's been given the role of leadership, of responsibility, and yet he's allowing himself to be led astray by his wife. And this comes out more more when God calls them to account. God asked him in verse 11, Haven't you, have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And what does he say? Yes, I'm sorry. No, what does he do? He tries to blame the woman. He says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. It's all her fault. It's all your fault. 
But the trouble is God had made him responsible. And now do you see what he's doing? He's saying, I'm not responsible. Even worse, he's saying, actually, you were responsible. God giving giving me the woman. You put her here. The man was meant to ensure that neither he nor the woman were tempted to disobey. And yet he failed on both accounts. And now he's not even big enough to acknowledge his failure. And we see that all around us. And we live in a blame culture where, where people are not willing to admit their mistakes, to accept responsibility. And it all goes back to the fool. Now the woman admits um, that she was deceived in verse 13. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. No excuses, I was deceived and, and I fell for it. And God doesn't need to explain to her why he is punishing her. But what about the man? Not only has he blamed both the woman and God, he hasn't even admitted that he too has been deceived. So God has to explain to him where he's gone wrong. Look at verse 17. To Adam, he said, and interesting here, it's not because you ate from the tree that I commanded you not to. He says, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you not to. That is why I'm going to punish you. Not only did you disobey my command, you failed in the responsibility that I gave you. So what was the result of this? God's design, his perfect order has been rejected. What was the result? Well, the result is broken relationships. We heard earlier from Wellesley, God's design, his perfect design has been broken. And in the first instance, that is alienation from God, a broken relationship between people and God. As we've said, being made in the image of God, both men and women are accountable for their actions. God told them what the consequence of uh, their actions would be if they disobeyed him, that they would no longer enjoy eternal life, but instead would die. And so he has to remain true to his word. And so if you look at uh, verse 22, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. The man and woman could have lived forever in eternal bliss with God, and instead their life will be cut short. But their rejection of God's word will also have consequences in the present life. For the man, it will mean that the role of providing, of working, will be hard work. It's not going to be easy. As far as the woman is concerned, God says to her in verse 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, these affect two of the most important elements of, um, of womanhood in many ways, being a wife and a mother. First sentence is easier to understand. Um, childbearing will from now on be painful. The blessing of motherhood will not be taken away, but giving birth will involve more pain. Unfortunately, women are made with a greater pain threshold than men. But what about this next bit? Because it says your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. 
Now this takes a little bit more work to try and understand. It's useful to refer to commentaries here. Um, apparently the only other occurrence of the Hebrew word here for desire in this sense is uh, in chapter 4 of Genesis when the Lord says to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not, if you do, not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin desires to have you, it wants to master you, but you must master it. Which helps to explain Genesis 3 here. Your desire will be for your husband. You will want to to master him, to control him, but he will not allow you to. He will rule over you. In other words, he will not exercise the loving servant leadership that he was designed to do. But it will be a selfish domination. And so the result here is the battle of the sexes. The man's reaction to God when he was accused demonstrates what his relationship with a woman will now be like. First, he's passive. He didn't take responsibility. Then when he was accused, he became abusive and uh, blamed the woman for his failure. And here we have the start of all the awful ways in which men have abused women. Instead of men using their physical strength and financial muscle to protect women, to provide for them, they've used it to suppress women and exploit them. And in the worst cases, leading to violence and abuse. But then before we think uh, women are totally innocent, they too have used the powers at their disposal. Um, They've used verbal and emotional skills to control and manipulate men. They've used their sexuality to, uh, to exploit man's biggest weakness, his lust. How many men have been brought down by giving in to their lust for women? And as a result, marriages which should be characterized by love and support are full of frustration and friction and often end up in divorce. And sex, which should have been the fullest expression of a deep commitment to one's husband or wife, becomes something for self-gratification. Well, so far, pretty depressing. But let's come on to the good news, because fortunately there is a happy ending in all of this. There is hope that we read at the end of this chapter. Because although humans have been banished from God's presence, although the image of God in mankind has been marred, and in some cases beyond recognition, mankind is not beyond hope. People are crying out for hope. The trouble is often people don't know what they really need. People are patching up um, the outside, often without dealing with the fundamental issue. People with marital difficulties um, seek counselling, which is a great thing to, to do. But often they'll just try another relationship, hoping that that one will work out better. The trouble is the breakdown in relationships between men and women is a consequence of the breakdown in our relationship with God. And unless we are reconciled to him and the image of God is restored in us, we will never find the true healing that we all need. The good news, though, is that before punishing mankind, God gave them hope. The hope comes through the victory of Christ, 
over Satan. It was Satan who brought sin into the world, Satan whom God addressed first. Look at verse 14, what he says to, to him. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That offspring there he's referring to is the Messiah, the the Savior, the one who deals with Satan and sin. That is Jesus Christ. As it says in Romans in the New Testament, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Jesus destroyed the power of Satan. He achieved victory over death when he was raised to life. And as a result, he is able to forgive. He's able to cleanse. He's able to restore us to our former glory. And he makes both men and women fellow heirs of the grace of life. That inheritance that they lost, he has purchased back for them and it cost him his life. But that means that in Christ, men and women are able to recover what was meant by being created male and female in his image. So out of this terrible situation, there is hope. And Adam recognizes this because in verse 20, he names his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. We've seen that God had something wonderful in mind when he created man and woman. And although people ruined it, God still has a great vision for men and women. He plans to redeem them from the effects of sin. And he's done that in Jesus Christ. And what that means is where we ourselves might have experienced much hurt through damaged relationships, healing is available in Jesus Christ. Maybe you were responsible for the breaking of a relationship. Maybe you weren't, but maybe you're full of regrets for some of the ways in which you behaved. In Christ, you can be forgiven. In Christ, you can find the strength to forgive those who might have uh, hurt you. They won't necessarily make everything better overnight, but you can't wipe out the consequences of, of and damage of, caused by sin straight away. But whereas the world will say, just get over it, find another partner, and it'll work out better next time, the Christian says, no God, no his forgiveness, no his grace, which is sufficient for you, which is made perfect in weakness. And you'll be able to know yourself, and as you know yourself, you'll be able to better relate to others. And having been made right with God, we long to live lives that are pleasing to him. But where do we understand how to live in perfect harmony with those of the opposite sex? The response of feminists is to seek complete equality with men. But instead of thinking of equality in terms of standing before God... It is measured in terms of access to the same roles and responsibilities. And then what happens then is you get confusion and frustration. It would be like two of those dancers we saw earlier, both trying to do the same moves at the same time. 
or a team of English footballers not knowing who should be doing what at the right time. No, the answer is to go back to God's design to see what his original plan was, to go to the New Testament to see what further explanation there is there. And we'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks as we um, um, look at this in specific situations. And what we see is there is a design of complementarity, of, of harmony, where neither partner is trying to outdo the other one. So what lessons can we take away from this this morning? How can we avoid that natural desire to to get our own way um, and in so doing control the opposite sex? I'm sure none of us here has got this right. Um, And what we need to do first is, uh, is understand that we are all vulnerable in different ways. For married men here this, this, this morning, on the one hand, um, to take advantage of your wife is where we're going wrong. On the other hand, to not take responsibility that you should be taking for your wife is another way of getting it wrong. As far as taking advantage is concerned, it may be in different and subtle ways, but rather than seeking what is best for her, are you somehow seeking to, to control her, to to make decisions without consulting her? Is that going on? Or maybe not living up to your responsibility. It may mean being so wrapped up in your work or other interests that you fail to understand where she's at, some of the struggles she's going through, failing to help her grow in her faith. For women, one of the ways in which you can control your husbands maybe is making them feel guilty when they do things that don't involve you. Maybe you're keeping a record of wrongs and bringing them up in different situations, maybe nagging, maybe being critical instead of affirming. Mature manhood and womanhood is embracing our differences, living up to our respective responsibilities in order to achieve that perfect harmony. Now, it's important, I think, to this point to say that God's design for men and women is not just about marriage. It also involves singleness. It involves in all of our relationships with those of the opposite sex. It's not in marriage itself that we find our deepest needs met. Yes, we will find happiness in marriage and fulfillment uh, if it's a healthy marriage. But it's no substitute for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And actually, as a single person, it's possible to have a a more single-minded devotion to to Jesus Christ. Something that is often not possible for married couples. Without the commitments um, that go with, with marriage. There's a greater freedom to serve the Lord. But the same issues also apply, and sometimes can be harder, because if you're not used to looking out for the needs of a husband and wife then it can also be easy not to take responsibility, to take commitment towards others in other areas of life. Well, as we come to an end um, this morning, I'd like to conclude just by emphasizing that although our sin, our desire to be like God, which caused the fall, although that's resulted in disaster for our relationship with God and our relationship with others, and we see the consequences of all that around us today, there is still great hope for the future. By trusting in Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to God. We can be reconciled to each other. So let me finish with the words 
from 2 Corinthians 5, which will appear on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen.